Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Everybody, first podcast back for 2022. Uh, I've been on a little bit of a break, which you might have noticed from the absence of episodes, but I'm very excited to be back today with Brianna Bolley. Brianna is a trauma coach and she found her way there from being a mindset coach for martial artists. So I'm super excited to hear more about her story today. Brianna, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, how cool that I'm the first one for 2022. I know. It must be a good omen, right? Yeah, for sure. Can you, let's expand more about that. Let's go maybe with a bit of a narrative. Where did you start and how did you get towards being a trauma coach? Yeah. So I'll give you the condensed version because it is a long story, but I started as a personal trainer and nutritionist. So mm-hmm. at the time I was competing as a fitness model And in terms of clients, I was working with a lot of uh, individuals who were looking for significant weight loss. And so through my journey in fitness modeling and kind of seeing the behind the scenes of some of, you know, the uh, dysfunctional way of, you know, the the fitness modeling world is, um, I started to notice that it didn't matter how much we physically transformed, um, if, if we mentally weren't transforming and we were, you know, kind of stagnating, there was a massive misalignment. And so um, from working as a personal trainer and a nutritionist, I sort of started to self-educate and dig around in the mindset side of things, realising that that was a massive gap in the industry um, and began working as, I guess you could call me a life coach. I was just sort of doing generalised uh, work, supporting people in creating a life that felt really functional and really aligned for them. And uh, from there, I transitioned out of fitness modeling and got into martial arts myself. So I started with Muay Thai and then found jiu-jitsu and then found a little bit of wrestling and actually started my own fight camp in Muay Thai. And at the same time, I got in, I was in contact with a uh, quite a well-known Australian UFC fighter And we sort of had the conversation about whether the work that I was doing as a coach might actually support her uh, performance in the cage. And we sort of decided, well, let's give it a go and see what happens. And as a result, her performance prior to working with me and her performance after working with me were like, like the transformation was undeniable. So it was really cool because I was like, I'm onto something here. Like this stuff actually creates a tangible result in terms of someone's athletic performance. So I decided to drop out of my fight camp and pursue working with extreme sports athletes. So working with, um, you know, I was working with a lot of trick uh, BMX riders and um, skateboarders and uh, motocross and all sorts of sports. But my biggest love is, of course, the combat sports. Um, and through that process, having the opportunity to work with everyone from amateurs through to world champions, you know, UFC, Bellator, um, I came to realize that, you know, a lot of people who get into extreme sports come from some sort of trauma. You know, I don't think anyone who has had a really healthy upbringing chooses a sport where they get punched in the face or where someone's trying to, you know, steal their limbs. So, 
yeah, that kind of had me then transition into working specifically with trauma. I, I came to realise that basically my whole career had been indirectly supporting people in navigating uh, their traumas. So, yeah, that's the condensed version. What did that look like with martial artists? Was it kind of like going in there and being like, okay, what are the, the, you know, the three biggest things that are holding you back right now and how can we pull those apart? And then was it like that they were all kind of based in trauma so it was trauma healing sort of work that you were doing with them or what did that look like? Yeah, so it, it looked like a mix, mixture. I mean, I, I, I was able to draw on obviously my personal training background and my nutrition background, so the really obvious direct route performance enhancers so breath work you know nutrition even down to things like I've got a background in physiotherapy so um, you know some some different movement practices and that sort of thing but the the stuff that really moved the needle was the stuff that was kind of playing out in the background so I'm a big believer that um, everything touches in our world you know, that the the fight with our partner impacts how much money we make and whether or not we've done our taxes for the last year impacts how we show up online. And, you know, it, it sounds bizarre, but I'm such a big believer everything touches. And so what I was finding with a lot of these athletes was that they were doing everything right in terms of recovery, in terms of nutrition, in terms of training. Yes, they were microscopic tweaks, but mostly it was the things that they had never really faced. And it could have been, you know, there were, there were some women that I worked with who'd come from domestic violence. There were some women who had come from, you know, a um, dysfunctional upbringing. So maybe their parents were addicts. Um, there were some people that I worked with who, um, you know, had a, had a history of alcohol, alcoholism themselves. And so, yeah, realising it was those things that kind of were under the surface um, that, when we looked at them and when we dug through them and kind of unearthed them were really the, the big needle movers in terms of how they performed. I know that now a lot of your work looks at nervous system, how the nervous system has adapted to trauma, how we can heal the nervous system. As you were talking, I was wondering like, oh, I wonder like how you would explain the, the kind of nervous system story that would go with along with that. You know, I think a lot of people probably it resonates thinking, yeah, you know, like I put in so much work in, you know, maybe it's not as an extreme sports athlete, but maybe it's in work or in my relationships and I, I'm watching all the things and I'm doing all the seminars and I'm like do doing all the small things, but I know it's my underlying trauma that's holding me back. From a nervous system perspective, how do you explain that? Yeah, so, I mean, to keep it fairly basic, I, I kind of explain it as we, op we operate from two different states. We're, we're, excuse me, my words aren't working today. We're either operating from survival mode, which is basically, um, you know, our body is, is the, the underlying, underlying narrative is that we're under threat, right? So we're operating from fear, we're operating from a level of avoidance, and we're, we're literally just trying to stay alive. And so our, body is, uh, our body's ability to perform well is severely diminished because we're, we're essentially doing the bare minimal just to survive another day uh, versus the other state, which is thriving. And that's when, you know, our brain's executive centre or the, the part of the brain that basically separates us from animals, the part of the brain that's able to think about what we're thinking about is switched on. Um, our digestive system, our organs are all working optimally. You know, we have, we're able to rest and recover well um, because, you know, our, our body's going into a rest state. 
And even if, you know, we dig down even deeper, uh, there's a saying that, you know, children learn best uh, when they're playing, you know, when they're having fun. And so it's that same kind of analogy when we're able to tap into thriving and we're able to play and have fun, we tend to thrive and we tend to perform a whole lot better. Whereas if we're operating from that survival state, we're actually unable to access the play state. Um, the body is um, our ability to move into having fun and being relaxed and uh, finding a flow state is actually we just can't access it. Why do you think people who are more frequently in that survival state, I wouldn't say it's, you know, 100% of the time, but certainly if you've experienced a lot of trauma, and like we just said, people who go into combat sports who want to get punched in the face tend to have something in their background. Why do you think it is that someone in a survival state would want to go into more states that are going to push them into higher and higher need to survival state, right? Like when you're sparring or rolling or competing with someone, it feels to your not to your nervous system and to your body the same as a life or death kind of situation. Yeah, there's a, there's a few ways I could answer this. The first being that it feels familiar. Um, so this is going to sound a little bit backwards, but whatever is familiar actually starts to become safe. So it feels safe for us. It's familiar. It's certain. We kind of know what to expect. So if we've been brought up in an environment where uh, being unsafe or, or you know, um, being brought up having experienced some sort of trauma is familiar to us. So even though it's uncomfortable, it's actually what feels the most comfortable to the nervous system. So in a lot of ways, people who've come from some sort of trauma go into martial arts because that level of discomfort is actually the thing that feels most comfortable. Um, for other people, I believe that it's uh, a way of, for me, I believe this was the case, it's a way of expanding our window of tolerance. So I know you speak about this. I think I saw a post um, earlier today. Our window of tolerance is basically um, our emotional capacity, our ability to be with different ends of uh, emotions that come up as a result of experiences without it dysregulating us. So without it throwing us into being uh, overreactive or going into shutdown. So, yeah, for me, I think it was actually my way of expanding upon my window of tolerance, putting myself in situations where I knew I was safe. I knew that I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't going to go into a gym and have someone, you know, completely <laughs> um, beat the shit out of me. I knew that it was within a controlled environment. Um, so there was enough safety there, but also it was uncomfortable enough that it was still stretching me. Uh, and then I also think there's a lot of other elements involved in terms of um, I think a lot of people who've been through trauma have a lot of suppressed anger, anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment. And so a martial arts environment is actually, again, it's a safe space to express those emotions that society deem inappropriate. You know, it's not, uh, it's not accepted within society to go out and, um, you know, primal scream or to go out and kick a tree or, um, you know, lay into, a, uh, lay into the ground or something in public. Whereas a martial arts gym, it's acceptable. It's basically an outlet for us to feel through and draw to conclusion a lot of those unfelt feelings. 
Yeah, I think it's just incredible that people intuitively will feel like where the edge of their window of tolerance is and get to that point where they're like, oh, I think I, I do want to start expanding upon myself. And, and that looks different for different people. You know, some people will say to me, like, I really want to be in the class because I know I feel uncomfortable working in groups of people. So I want to stretch myself in that way. Or, you know, it could look different for, for everybody. And same with the outlet, like there's intuitive there's this intuitive thing that's going like something's not right. Like you might not even have cognitive awareness of the memories of the trauma. You might not even be aware that that's what's happened, but you're like, no, I know I need to physically express myself in, in some way. And then that martial arts is just there. Like it's incredible that we have that. And I really do hope that in the future that'll start to become more supported by funding, you know, accessible to people who don't have uh, the budget for the, forever raising I think costs of martial arts as the UFC becomes more popular and you know that it will become like a more accepted trauma therapy you know it's accepted if it's like oh I'm going because I want to learn self-defense or you know um, get fitter or have fun or I just want to learn a sport or even like I want to go and and hit things like that would be socially acceptable if someone was like I'm going to heal my trauma people would be like Mm. No, 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 no. We don't talk about that. That's like the hush hush thing. Like, please don't mention that you're doing anything like that. I think that that's probably the next step. I really hope so anyway. Yeah, it's amazing how much, how often I hear women in particular, because I think for women, we've sort of had, uh, you know, we're, we're the physically weaker sex, if you want to go by that narrative. And so I think it is really common for, for women to turn to particularly Muay Thai. That's been my experience because that's that space for them to, you know, unleash on a boxing bag or, um, you know, hit, hit the pads. And I hear it at least once a week, uh, you know, one of my clients say like, oh, I just, I just want to go hit something. Like I just want to, you know, go lay into a boxing bag. So it's like you said, it's that intuitive outlet. It's really cool. It is. It is really, really cool. And it's, and it is, like you say, it's a space for women to be allowed to show those kind of emotions that we are socialized to believe are masculine emotions like mm-hmm. anger and frustration and rage and, and all of these kind of things that are uh, emotions, but somehow uh, missed getting labeled as emotions, right? Like if generally speaking, society will say that, you know, those kind of things are just things that guys do, but they're not being emotional. But women are kind of allowed to be emotional, but, you know, in private where people don't see them, we don't want to see you be emotional. We don't want to deal with you being emotional, but also anger is not part of that emotional toolkit. This is really cool that it pulls down all of those barriers um, kind of at once. Yeah. And I think it's a, a beautiful outlet for women to be a little bit messy, I think there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on uh, women to, you know, to always look put together and to, you know, have the hair and the makeup perfect. And one of the things that I personally love the most, especially jujitsu, is that like, you know, you tie your hair back and it doesn't matter how perfectly you tie your hair back, it's yep. coming out a mess after a roll. So, yeah, it's a space where it's perfectly acceptable to have your hair, you know, to be the wild woman, to have your hair a mess, to have you know, like a bright red face and sweat. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's a permission slip in so many ways. A hundred percent. Coming from the person who is always the reddest in the room, I just have like that red undertone where I'll have like one role and everyone will be like, are you okay? And I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm fit. I'm fine. This is just how my face looks. <laughs> I got home the other day after jujitsu and my housemate was like, you're really sunburned. 
I'm like, no, that's just jujitsu. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's just my face. <laughs> We've talked about um, quite a lot of the themes that generally tend to come up um, on this show, at least, and um, in some of the research that I've conducted. But one question that I really love to ask everyone is, and for you, I'll ask you in two, two lenses, for yourself and also generally for the community at large, why do you think that people will say, like, martial arts saved me? You know, jujitsu saved my life, MMA saved my life is a really recurrent theme that you hear coming up a lot. What do you think it is about combat sports to have such a profound effect that they cause people to say something, you know, quite so profound yeah I think it's I think again it's that outlet I I really believe that you know a lot of the work that I do um centers around something called somatic release and somatic release is basically um utilizing movement practices utilizing sound um you know just utilizing a variety of different tools to release whatever's stored within the body so Um, you know, I always say the body remembers what the mind forgets. And so even traumas that we're not necessarily conscious of are are basically stored in the cells. There's cellular memory of whatever it was that happened. And so um, if those emotions aren't drawn to completion and discharged, they lie kind of stagnant in the cells, in the body. And um, so, you know, somatic, the aim of somatic release work is basically to uproot whatever's there. And it doesn't have to be something that we're necessarily conscious of it doesn't have to be something where you know we're able to go oh right now I'm releasing anger linked to when xyz happened it can literally be something of I have no idea what's happening right now but all of a sudden I have all this energy coming up and I I feel like vomiting you know it could be something like that and so yeah I think that martial arts um provides that outlet to somatically release without knowing that that's what we're doing um somatically release you know, that that stored trauma or that stored anger or resentment or sadness or grief or whatever it may be. So, you know, I've, I, I hear stories all the time, as you said, of uh, people who've come from maybe gang affiliation and, and violence and um, often those uh, narratives stem from a need for significance and a need to feel power. And um, moving into martial arts, that gives them another outlet to feel significant and to feel that sense of power, but releasing it in a healthy way. Um, So, yeah, and I I guess for me it was much the same really that I had a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of my story stems around feeling like I didn't have a voice, feeling like I was uh, seen but not heard uh, and that it was, you know, it was sort of like, um, I, I guess when I tune into the energy of my childhood, it's very much like the kid that we just put in the corner and she just, you know, don't make too much noise. Don't, you know, um, be there, but don't really be there. We don't want to notice you. And so um, martial arts for me was the place where I could reconnect with that power and reconnect with the fact that, um yeah, there, there, there's, there's a power within me. There is this potential and this ability within me that gets to be expressed and to, to move a lot of that suppressed energy through my body. 100%. I think we hear a lot about how changes in our mindset and in our opinion of ourselves 
need to be experiential. You know, um, you can't just have this like whole narrative and then discover the narrative and be like, oh, I'm going to cut that narrative off and think something else. Like the brain connections don't just unwire and rewire that quickly. And by thinking like, oh, I'm not going to think like that anymore, you tend to just be rooting it deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think for some people it can be a little bit um, disheartening to think like, okay, I've, I've uncovered what the root of my trauma is. Now I know what happened. Why am I not healed yet? And then it can be something as, you know, seemingly simple as you just need to actually release that. Like you mm-hmm. can find out your story first or you cannot. Like that's totally up to you and what's going to feel safe for you. But releasing it is the part that's really going to be important. And movement is just so integral in achieving that. Mm, Yeah. And I mean, in addition to that, uh, particularly Muay Thai, like really traditional Muay Thai, you know, they encourage making the noise as you as you throw a punch, as you kick, you know, and uh, especially when you go over to Thailand and and whatnot, you know, they, they, yeah, they really encourage like the, ooh wee, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, for me, a big aspect of that, you know, I was, um, I was often told as a kid, you know, like, be quiet. I, ha- I have a naturally loud voice. So it was be quiet. Like the whole world doesn't need to hear you. And so having that anchored consistently, it was like, okay, shut up, shut up. Not everyone needs to hear you. Don't speak, which is so funny because now my career, my entire career centers around speaking. But, you know, Muay Thai was really, not only was it an opportunity for me to be big in my movements and to release a lot of that stored energy, but it was also so strongly encouraged, like be loud. You know, when you when you make noise, when you kick it in, you know, they, they say that it uh, helps with your breathing and that it helps increase power and all of those things. So, it, yeah, it was it was really interesting for me. My first few Muay, Muay Thai sessions, watching the way it was like, I, I I wouldn't make a noise, and they're like, "Come on, like make noise, like yell, whatever you've got to do." So, yeah, it was kind of double whammy for me, encouraging me to use my voice and encouraging me to to also be big in my movements and to be seen. Yeah, 100%. I, I started in karate and karate, a big part of that is a ki, which is a spirit shout. And that's now been researched as being linked to changing the way that women see themselves as being Ooh. capable of taking up space. Um, and I think that that's a really cool thing, right? That as is one piece of undoing the social constructs of gender, right? Women make themselves smaller by like at the start of your career, you know, losing weight as much as possible, always trying to lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. Men are trying to get bigger muscles. Women are trying to get smaller, smaller, smaller. And we are starting to see that change now. And that's one piece of it. But it's also the attitudes. Like if I sit on a tram, I'm going to make myself small and like cross my legs and be tiny. And if I'm a guy, I'm going to manspread, you know, and like these are big stereotypes, but they play out frequently and say, same thing on the mats like you tend to see women will move out of the way for guys while they're sparring and men will tend to just blindly crash into anyone who's near them again these are like big brushing stereotypes but I think through repeatedly being encouraged to use your voice to ki or shout or to grunt to sweat and to exist and hold your space really shows up in your life in so many ways Mm, yeah and uh there's that ripple effect right how we do anything's how we do everything everything touches so when we're willing to take up space on the mats or in the ring or in the cage or whatever um that it 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 rewires the nervous system that it's it's safe it's safe to be seen it's safe to take up space and so hey presto 
all of a sudden, you know, you're taking up more space in your business or you're taking up more space, you know, uh, financially, like you're bringing more in, you're, you're willing to, to be seen. Yes, absolutely. I always used to think that you could compartmentalize the different parts of yourself that I was like, oh, well, I have a different voice when I'm at work, when I'm talking to my parents, when I'm talking to my friends, therefore I'm separate. Um, (laughs) I mean, that was quite a long time ago when I used to think that because I totally agree that, you know, you can't wear various masks and expect that everything doesn't blend into each other and that, you know, it's not it's going to go both ways, right? Like positive impact in one space is going to positively impact all your other spaces. And similarly, having something really bad going on in one space in your life is definitely going to bleed into the other areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. If we're suppressed in one area, we're suppressed in every area. Yes. Speaking to women who might be listening to this podcast who really identify with, yeah, I have a background of having experienced trauma or violence or whatever it might be, From a nervous system perspective and as a trauma coach, what advice would you give them stepping into a martial arts gym maybe for the first time? Firstly, I would say start to become acquainted with your unique nervous system. You know, no two people are ever the same. The the nervous system learns through experience. So um, start to tap into and, and really take note of what goes on within your body and within your mind, what thoughts pop up when you are, you know, feeling, uh, when you go into a sympathetic state, so a fight or flight response, um, start to notice, you know, when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling angry, what do I feel within my body? What thoughts come, come to rise? Um, and then start to look at when, when we start to go into shutdown or, or the dorsal response, when we start to go into freeze or when we want to make ourselves smaller, what are the feelings within the body? And what are the thoughts that pop up and, and start to actually like lay it out on a spreadsheet that you can visually start to see, oh, okay, like this is how my nervous system responds. And then also take note of when you're feeling safe, when you're feeling secure, what do you feel in your body? Where do you feel that sense of safety in the body? What are the thoughts that come up? So that then you, you kind of, you start to be able to notice in the moment as you become more and more aware, you start to know what's going on. You know, you start to be able to go, okay, something's happening here where I'm going into a fight or flight response. And so then with that awareness, you can then start to play around with different tools, you know, whether that be, um, breath work, you know, maybe a one-to-one ratio breathing. Um, so, you know, say a four-second inhale and a four-second exhale. You know, you can we, we can play around with maybe shaking, like shaking it out when we feel the energy come up. Um, we can start to, yeah, find different tools that work for us through trial and error so that then when it comes to going into an environment that may bring up either a, a, a stress response, uh, whether that be shut down or, you know, the, the desire to kind of fight or, or, or run. Um, we can self-regulate in those moments. Um, and also I would say own it. Like th- this is the piece, right? Like the, the most beautiful thing about us as human beings is that um, like our nervous system is there to, to serve us, that desire to run, or, or fight or f- completely shut down is actually there to keep us safe. Um, and so those feelings that we feel of, of feeling, um, uh, you know, inadequate or insecure or overwhelmed or fearful, like that's, that's part of it. That's part of being human. And so when you actually own it, not only do you serve as a permission slip for others, 
But in my experience, most people are like, oh, cool. Okay. Thank you for making me aware. Like, thank you for being so, so open and vulnerable. And what do you need from me? You know, I joined a, a new jujitsu gym just, just uh, what was it? Start of December. And one of the first things that I said to the coach was, hey, just a heads up, I sometimes get a little bit of social anxiety when I'm in the gym. And he was like, beautiful, what do you need from me? So owning it, uh, recognising that it's never something to be ashamed of, that it's actually uh, a sign that you're perfect, whole and complete and not finished yet. Um, Yeah, own the hell out of it, rock it. Yeah, so if I'm summarising that for actionable things that people can do, the first is to do a little bit of prep. Like if we think about um, fighting as an analogy, you wouldn't get in the ring and try and do a spinning back kick for the first time in the ring, right? You would practice it many, many times um, beforehand or you know, at least a few times beforehand before you went to go and throw it in the ring. And I think it's the same thing with grounding strategies, with understanding your nervous system. So you can think, okay, you know, if I feel anxious and I know that for me, anxious is kind of like a whirring, sick feeling in my stomach, and then it'll become like a big knot in my throat. When I feel that, then I'm going to do five fingers, you know, five, four, three, two, one. And okay, I know that that's my go-to that way in the moment when that does come up, You don't have to think, crap, like, what am I going to do now? You just have an automatic response just in much the same way as if you trill that if someone punches in you in the face, you punch them back in the face. (laughs) Um, That way then when you are owning what's happened to you and you step into the gym and you say to your coach, hey, like sometimes I go into shutdown or, you know, I know that for me, I'm, or maybe you don't even know, maybe you're just saying, hey, I know that um, this feels really scary for me. Um, I'm feeling like, you know, there might be some times where I need to step away. And they say, what do you need from me? You might even say, this is the way that I like to ground, you know, can you come and remind me to focus on my breathing or can you come and um, shake off with me and we'll do that together. That way you can talk them and involve them in the process. Um, And then you've got an action plan. So the steps would be to get to know your window of tolerance, which is essentially what you're alluding to, right? When you feel safe, when you feel shut down um, and when you feel overwhelmed and stressed, knowing what that feels like in your body, having responses that work for you and your individual nervous system and then owning it when you get to the gym. Yeah, you delivered that so eloquently. Thank you for summing that up. <laughs> and I think as well, like, don't be afraid to ask for what you need. You know, like, even if if you inform your coach or your training partner of what's going on for you and they don't respond to how can I support you or what do you need, ask for it. You know, uh, I, I had an experience, uh, yeah, again, maybe six weeks ago where I, I went into quite an overwhelm, an overwhelm response drilling And I actually just said, hey, I just need a breather for like three minutes. Um, You know, all I need from you is just for you to be okay with me just taking a pause. And they were fine with it, you know. So, yeah, don't be afraid to ask for what you need Um, because, again, there's there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. We don't have to hide behind this mask of perfection and having it all together. What about for people who are training, who have maybe noticed that one of their training partners um, sometimes, you know, runs off the mats or is absent or just anyone generally speaking who wants to be a little bit more trauma aware, um, given that we've just said that there are a high proportion of people on the mat or, you know, in the training area at any given time who have experienced trauma that want to be a little bit more trauma aware and look after their community and their training partners better? 
So tips, tips for those circumstances? Yes. Um, I, yeah, I would say uh, lead the way. Go first. So, um, you know, share, share parts of what comes up for you. Uh, again, serving as a permission slip, but also open up the conversation, you know, ask your, ask your training partners, ask your teammates um, if they ever do experience, you know, um, any sort of kind of stress response in the club. And if so, like, how can you support them? Or if you're noticing that, that you know, that, that there are kind of responses uh, where they run off the mats, um, just being really supportive and understanding and not, not making them wrong for it, um, but rather seeking to understand, you know. So, so yeah, asking questions if they're comfortable with sharing. And if they're not comfortable with sharing, just let them know that, yeah, you're there for them. And um, if they do ever need anything from you, uh, that, yeah, you'll, you'll do it to the best of your abilities, that you're a safe space for them. Yes, I love that. I think that that's such an important thing for me. That's one of the things that came out of listening to the Trap podcast, which I recommend to everyone in the world, but especially people in Australia, which was a series from the Victorian Women's Trust about domestic violence in Australia. And they spoke about how, you know, just saying to someone, are you safe at home? Or, you know, if you if you ever need to talk about anything that I'm here, you know, it seems like maybe things aren't okay with your relationship or, you know, not saying like you need to do this, you need to do that, but just saying like I'm here and, and you know, like I may be noticing that something isn't okay might mean that three months or a year down the track that they feel safe to come to you and say, can I have help? Or maybe yeah. you just planted the seed and then in three months, six months, one year, then they're going to go to somebody else for, for help. But just being able to say like, I'm here and I want to make sure that you're safe is such a, such a powerful and I think underrated thing that we can do. Yeah. I think as well to add to that, you know, continuing to, to do the work on ourselves. Uh, you know, co-regulation tells us that uh, our nervous systems tend to somewhat mimic uh, those around us. And so uh, I've definitely noticed it that the more work I do on myself and the more I come to a place where I'm able to self-regulate, the more people tend to just naturally be drawn towards me um, and and they're they're willing to open up about what's going on for them because we unconsciously can feel when someone's a safe space and when someone does have uh, or is able to self-regulate, um, it, it's kind of natural that those around us start to, to naturally regulate themselves as well. So, um, yeah, honestly, the best thing that we can do for other people and helping other people heal through their traumas is to go first and to do it for ourselves knowing that, you know, it, it, it uh, serves as the example. Yeah, I, I love co-regulation, especially in the context of martial arts, because it's it's pretty rare that you're doing martial arts by yourself. You know, at the very least, you're going to be working one-on-one with the trainer and more often than not, in, you're in a group of people. And they can be such a powerful tool that can go both ways. You know, if the, if the entire group is dysregulated, you can sometimes walk away from a club or a particular class being like, why do I feel hijacked? Like my energy feels so weird. Why do I feel so short? 
short and so snappy and it's because humans are designed to live in groups and as a community we do this cool thing called co-regulating where our nervous system literally changes in response to the people who are near us where our heart rates will sink to other people's heart rates and the speed that we speak at will sink to the speed that other people are speaking at and so it means as a group you know uh, everything has like a ripple effect of like you know it's not just things that touch within your life but it's the the people that you're touching as well too Mm, yeah I mean I always try to before I go into a gym I uh or before I do anything really my my entire life is just one big ceremony but I will try and actually spend a couple of moments just checking in with how I feel and, and grounding myself and making sure that I'm um in a place of to the best of my ability um feeling safe and secure and and feeling yeah really present in my body so that then when I do go in and I you know drill or or roll with or um you know hit pads with someone um I have quite a like grounded playful energy you know and and it's really cool to watch how um you know when I when I start training with someone or drilling with someone noticing how my playfulness immediately shifts their energy um so yeah yeah, starting with yourself it's a very cool reminder of um there's a book called the third space which is essentially about that as a concept it's about putting a pause in between things like um, finishing work and then going home or even within a work day in between meetings or talking to one person and then talking to another person to stop and check in and go where am I at what am I going to take from my previous interaction or you know whenever in my life and bring into this next interaction that I'm going to be in and who am I going to be interacting with and what kind of state might they be in and how is the way that I show up going to affect them positively or negatively and and I think that doing that before stepping on the mat is probably one of the most critical times it's good all the time Mm. but that's definitely a critical time definitely 100 percent Is there anything else that you would like to share having a platform for particularly women but martial artists who are curious about trauma and understanding our nervous system, yeah, with this platform? Was there anything you would want to say? Um, I think I'd like to say that uh, transformation and healing don't take time. They take courage. Um, I I think that... uh, yeah, it's having the willingness to go to a lot of the places that we don't want to go. Um, that's what really creates the change, not only for ourselves, but for a ripple effect through our entire world from the, you know, our family dynamics through to, you know, our, our, our martial arts dynamics, um, all of it, whether it's your financial situation that you want to heal, whether it's your relationship to your partner, whether it's your relationship to your kids or to your parents or um, your performance and health in the gym or or in general, it's always in the places that we don't want to go where the gold is. There's a quote that I love and that I live by, uh, which is the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And so, um, you know, to throw a whole bunch of cliches out there, like the resistance is actually, it it is the way. yeah, I, I, I always try to check in with myself of where am I most resistant? Okay, that's where I get to go. And so, again, transformation doesn't take time. It takes courage. And uh, we equip ourselves with these this toolkit to stay regulated so that we can go to those um, places that maybe we don't want to go. 
Brianna, I know you're a trauma coach, so I'm assuming you've got programs or one-on-one opportunities for people. How can people work with you and how can they find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm about to uh, relaunch my uh, eight-week group program called Heal and Reveal. So that's basically a process of supporting individuals in mapping out their nervous system and then from starting to regulate Uh, opening up to what they're here for. Um, Again, when we're operating from that survival state, uh, we're operating from the animal brain. So we're not as connected to what our actual purpose in this lifetime is. So the aim of Heal and Reveal is to um, open them up to that. Um, So uh, if they reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook, they can find me by searching Brianna Bowley. So B-R-I-A-N-A-B-O-W-L-E-Y. And I also have a free resource uh, for women, uh, which is basically, again, um, rewiring their nervous system, uh, coming back from burnout and coming back from overwhelm. Um, so that's an ebook and an audio training, which they can get at www.fiercefreewoman.com. Perfect. We'll put all the details for those in the show notes. And then if people have questions about um, time zones and, you know, online and recordings and and all those general frequently asked questions, then they can DM you on Instagram or Facebook. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said, it was really fun to get to know you live on a podcast. Well, not live, but, you know, with an audience. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. It was, um, it was fun. It's, I love what you're doing. Um, it's, it's cool. As soon as I came across your social media, I was like, yes, like, I love that people are taking these two worlds and, and bridging them. Cause I think that, um, there's so much magic available to us in trauma work and there's so much magic available to us in martial arts. And the two together is like the best. Yes, it is. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. shapes me but me don't gotta tell you what my name is i don't gotta explain it walk in the room hear a boom erupting like i'm famous i'm here shedding shells i'm shameless half in nothing no complacence walk too many tight ropes with no hope so i became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders you don't need to know my history i move boulders atlas shrug because i lifted the weight above his shoulders no pretense of defense move first like chess soldiers this goes deeper than empowerment because huh, i'm the one that power it physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring if i can't change the scenery at least i change perspectives no longer isolated but elevated and selective darkest places become beautiful spaces this is where rage meets patience meets power meets gracious meets we're so glad you came in the feeling is contagious when you the walking impact of intended bad intentions when you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions you the soul and body hold it all and still remember but i'm a work in progress testament to all contenders forgot what it was like to have control over self 
Forget what it was like to be the one in charge. Forget in my reflection I could see all my wealth. Forget that with my bare hands I break all these bars, barriers and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers because I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass. I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much. I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me because I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? Think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated the value of self worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no, really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh? Oh. 